And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, a good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. And today I've got a, a really good guest on. Uh, I always look forward to having Michael on. Michael Rechtenwald, the formerly Marxist professor. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this guy took, took the ultimate uh, dip, and uh, he actually started to question what was going on at NYU, where he was a professor of liberal studies, uh, what was going on with this woke agenda and what was going on with political correctness and the uh, banning of certain uh, speech and uh, the uh, uh, so-called free speech areas, things like that. He started to question that. And uh, and the uh, dean and the heads of the uh, various uh, uh, colleges at NYU decided that he was mentally disturbed for asking such questions. And uh, (laughs) you can't make this stuff up. Michael, uh, you are, as far as I'm concerned, you are the ultimate hero for exposing this crap. Uh, Michael Rechtenwald has written a dozen books and his latest one, which I just absolutely love, is the great reset and the struggle for liberty? Uh, I nobody I know has gone as far from being a Marxist professor uh, to being a hardcore libertarian and someone who really, honest to God, believes in uh, free speech and all the rest as much as you, uh, Michael. Welcome to the program. Thank you, my friend, for joining us again today. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Great to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, I, you know, I, I always laugh about this, but when, um, you know, when I first ran into you, you were kind of, uh, I don't know, you hadn't been too far out of that, uh, that realm, and you had just written uh, Springtime for Snowflakes, and that was the one that I, I, I got a kick out of reading that, and I, I thought, wow, I've got to get this guy on my program because he sure knows uh if you'll pardon my french where the bear shit and the buckwheat and uh <laughs> i yeah. thought this is a guy that uh this is a guy that's really had 
the full awakening. You're not you're not woke. You're awake. And uh, mm-hmm. I have to tell you that uh, honestly, when I read your book, I I was amazed how well you documented the whole transition of globalism and how that's done. I mean, boy, you really know what you're talking about. And of course, you uh, I know you did a, a kind of a uh, in an introduction, a special uh, acknowledgement to uh, Jake Kleisick. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that because uh, Jake is also a researcher extraordinaire. And yep. uh, you guys, uh, man, you're doing more now, more good now than anybody uh, probably in the country because you came from the other side. And that's kind of like uh, the ultimate in uh, finding somebody to uh, – to talk about a problem is find somebody that came from exactly the opposite spectrum. And I guess that's you. Yeah. I mean, I think what happens is uh, once you, uh, once you become disabused of, uh, and, you know, oppositional to this view, uh, to this uh, globalist agenda, I mean, then having been on the inside, you know exactly how these people think. And uh, you know what their reasoning is, what their justifications are for their uh, for their activities and their what their uh, what they are engineering really is the best way to put it. What they're engineering socially and uh, economically and politically, and so I'm able to uncover the the hidden agenda because I I feel like I really understand these people's mentalities. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, you understand them. And actually, I've got a little of that myself because I think I told you this, but my father was a, a card-carrying communist back in the 30s. And I kind of grew up around that mindset. And and these people really mean well, and a lot of them are really high IQ individuals. They just... Uh, they just don't understand economics, and that's really it in a nutshell. They they flat don't understand free markets, and as a result, uh, they're ready to give away all of everybody else's stuff. Uh, when in fact, you know, if they just believed in free markets, that that have a better understanding of how the whole thing works. Yeah, not only that, would they they also if they understood the free market, they'd understand that the free market leads to is the only way that leads to social welfare to overall social benefit and that uh, you have to have privately held capital in order to produce wealth uh, mm-hmm. it is not possible without it and they don't get this and uh, this is why the, their regimes uh, end up in total failure and in fact abomination you know uh and then they have to kill and uh, silence and uh, imprison and uh, starve all the dissidents because uh, the the truth becomes too blatant. Uh, so likewise, they just have to squelch it, and uh, and that's what they do. So we we see the same thing with this great reset. In fact, their way of squelching it is by deeming everybody who criticizes it a conspiracy theorist, and. Um, I thought I took that on directly in the book. I took on that question head on um, because I, I'm not going to leave any uh, stones unturned. 
And I think I completely overthrew that whole idea. First of all, that there's anything in particular wrong with a conspiracy theory in the first place, that nothing is wrong for being a conspiracy theory. The question is whether, in fact, it is justified by the evidence. And uh, I think that I showed that in the case of the Great Reset, it, it isn't really a conspiracy because this is open. This is an open, avowed plan, and it's being undertaken at the highest levels of society uh, by the highest, uh, by the world leading banks, asset managers, uh, corporations, uh, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, uh, but in any case, they still try to throw this around so that any criticism of this is deflected as, you know, deflected from them. And uh, they keep trying to use this same epithet conspiracy theory to throw everybody off the trail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And uh, you're right, you did a good job of uh, describing that. And if anybody understands uh, how they label people uh, conspiracy theorists, it's certainly you. And I I think uh, you're, uh, uh, your retirement from a- NYU and the fact that uh, when you started to challenge the free speech zones and all this other crazy stuff at NYU, uh, yeah. they decided that you had to be, it had to be that you were mentally disturbed. Right. How could anybody possibly uh think like that unless they were mentally disturbed? I mean, Good grief, you know, and you're lucky because, uh, God, if there'd been gulags, you'd you'd been in one right away. <laughs> Absolutely. And oh, the Lord. same thing the Soviets used to, to justify their imprisonment of dissidents is they called them crazy, block them up yep. uh, in asylums and so forth. So, yeah, that's, that's one of their tactics. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, um, I, you know, you did such a good job of going through in the in the book uh, and, and covering right from kind of the beginning. You got you got into uh, how all these uh, organizations were put together. Of course, you went back to Cecil Rhodes and uh, uh, right. the Roundtable Group and Milner and right. uh, all the you know all the history behind this stuff. And really, it goes back to. Uh, you know, if you go back far enough, it goes to the Illuminati and the French Revolution. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's got quite a history. And I think most people don't have any idea just exactly how, uh, I guess, sophisticated, I'd have to say, their network is mm-hmm. and how completely and totally they've taken over uh, the control of most of society. Yeah. And that's what we're fighting is we're fighting this network of organizations that have put together this crazy plan. And uh, uh, people need to wake up to that, don't they? Yeah. I mean, the network is a good way of describing it because what I noticed with uh, these organizations, these roundtable groups, and we went, I went back to the Royal, Royal Institute of International Affairs and then the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, uh, the uh, Club of Rome, and then comes the WEF. This is the lineage. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the Trilateral Commission. 
this is the lineage of these globalist organizations. As you said, it probably could be traced back further, but I wanted to take it from uh, the roundtable groups forward. And uh, the thing is about this is all of these uh, groups share everything. They share beliefs, they share ideologies, they share uh, members. Uh, this is the key, they share members. This is a very incestuous pool of elitists a, a global elites or elitists, I should say, who um, are all incestuously mixed up in all these organizations. And uh, and they're all uh, running various uh, major uh, banks uh, or, you know, the, and they're involved in the UN and the, and the world health organization. And, uh, and uh, they have connections with uh, the Carlisle group and, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, and and on and on. It just it's such an inter uh, web, interconnected web uh, of globalists uh, that it's 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 just astounding. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know, you mentioned in your writing the uh, young global leaders, and I mean, we've got people in there like Putin, uh, mm -hmm. certainly uh, little Castro up in uh, Canada. Oh, yeah. Uh, baby Fidel, uh, you know, we've got quite a few of these uh, young global leaders are actually in the highest uh, positions of power in their countries. Yes. And uh, that's pretty astounding because, uh, uh, you know, people don't want to equate these international groups uh, to a threat. Mm -hmm. You know, they just don't. They they uh, they talk about well, that's not a threat, mm -hmm. and in fact, it is a threat of the highest order because of these relationships, because of this international mm -hmm. network. Uh, they have become, I think, uh, really the the government that's running the world right now. And it's just a matter of whether or not we can wrest control. Rogue. He was a populist. And right. right now, anyone that's a populist, they're trying to destroy. Yeah, because uh, populism represents the opposite of what they're about. Populism represents re resting control back to the populace, back to the the you know the polis, to the people, and they don't want that at all. In fact, uh, their latest meeting. Uh, the World Economic Forum's meeting was called uh, Cooperation in a Fragmented World. And what they equate fragmentation is the enemy for them. And what, what that means is fragmentation, if you really read it closely, what that means is people doing what they will without taking direction from them. And uh, and uh, people resisting their in regime. In fact, Klaus Schwab said at that meeting in his opening remarks, he said, the biggest threat we face are those who are hostile to our to our agenda. Uh, he said this almost word for word. I, I'm not quoting, but it's a paraphrase. He said, those that are uh, that are oppositional to us, uh, they are the biggest source of fragmentation. And uh, fragmentation is decentralization. It means anything other than this centralized uh globalism which is globalization controlled by them uh and uh 
Yeah. So yeah, the young global leaders uh, is one thing. Uh, and one of the things about the young global leaders is, for example, during the COVID crisis, uh, it was the young global leaders who implemented the most draconian COVID policies in the world. This has been studied. In fact, I, I cite a study that that does that does trace this, uh, and uh, <clears throat> they instituted the most draconian lockdowns, masking, social distancing, and vaccine mandates uh, in the world. Uh, these were people trained, groomed by the World Economic Forum. Uh, but the young global leaders are not even the, the end of the threat. They also have a group called the Global Shapers. And I don't know if you noticed that. The Global Shapers are... The global leaders are supposedly people 40 and under who have who show promise for global governance, okay? <laughs> That's how they call it, global governance. And then the young, uh, the global... Uh, Shapers are 30 and under people who show promise for global governance. And these people, there's like uh, many, many, many more thousands of these, these global shapers. And they have 400 city hubs across the world, the global shapers. They are penetrating. Uh, so Schwab boasted that the global, uh, the young global leaders penetrate the cabinets the young, uh, the global shapers penetrate local governments all across the world, and they institute and aim aim to bring in uh, these local governments into line with this agenda, and uh, and they use the cover of youth like uh, like like a Greta Thunberg type plea, uh, how dare you, uh, kind of thing like, you people are leaving us this legacy of. Uh, climate change and all this so we must you must listen to us you know so this is how they're ushering in this uh uh this climate change catastrophism as i call it in the book and how they're ushering in the same kinds of covid uh, responses uh, same kind of responses to future pandemics which in the previous uh, meeting not the the last one but the penultimate meeting of the world economic forum schwab warned us that another pandemic was on the way. And he even said, which we have on the global agenda, is how he put it. Um, so he almost blatantly says they have this on the agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they don't, uh, they're not subtle about this stuff anymore. And, yep. and I, there's a couple of different ways to interpret that, uh, mm -hmm. and, and you said that in the book. Uh, it, it could be interpreted as being um, that they're in a panic and they're yeah. trying to get all this information out, but it also could be interpreted as being that they're, they've got so much hubris and they think they're so totally in control that they're not afraid to say it anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in inherent in that whole process is the idea that uh, they think that they have the right to determine who lives and dies. And, oh, yeah. you know, they're not really blatant about that, but they talk about openly about how they're going to transition the entire human race through this transhumanist agenda, mm -hmm. uh, humans are not going to be, it's going to, as they call it, uh, human 2.0. 
Mm -hmm. they're planning on actually changing the architecture of the human being and incorporating artificial intelligence and uh, robotics and, and, and machine parts into the uh, human, uh, yes. I guess, the human architecture. Yes, I mean, this is this is true. And, you know, they, they take up this transhuman uh, promise, supposedly, that humans can transcend uh, biology, that they can transcend uh, themselves and become something else. It's humanity 2.0 or uh, H-plus is another way they put it. Uh, but uh, Yuval Harari, uh, who's an advisor to Klaus Schwab and an Israeli historian, and uh, popular, uh, well, he is popular. I mean, he was, I think, uh, lauded by Obama and so on and so forth. He he says that effectively that the, the just the elites, he, I mean, he comes right out and said, just the elites will be gods. The rest of you will be basically remote control robots. Uh, we will have technology that will outmode free will. He says free will is history. And that effectively will turn you into, uh, you know, remote control cyborgs, effectively, with brain cloud interfaces and algorithms controlling your behavior. And only the elite will be humanity, you know, 2.0 or H plus. The rest of you are effectively, uh, you know, robots. And he calls them a useless class, a new useless class, as he puts it. He calls us a useless class. And we will have nothing to do other than take drugs and live in the metaverse effectively. This is really what he prescribes for the human race. Mm -hmm. So that's where these people are coming from. If well, we're alive, that is, that's after the population yeah. control. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's the, that's a key to this whole thing because they've been blatant about this for generations. I mean, a lot of people, think that eugenics is uh, something that was practiced in Nazi Germany, but a few people realize that uh, most of the eugenics programs actually originated in the United States mm -hmm. and the UK. Yes, and uh, a lot of the, uh, the promoters of this stuff uh, are people who, well, certainly the Rockefeller Foundation or Rockefeller Brothers, uh, yeah. were part of this process. Henry yes. Ford uh, yeah. was a eugenicist. Uh, right. And then it goes through the whole the whole culture, uh, obviously the Huxleys and all that. Mm -hmm. But when you tie all this stuff back, uh, it it uh, really Hitler's regime and the Nazis were kind of amateurs at this compared yeah. to what they really have planned for us today. Oh, absolutely. This is. Uh... As as I quoted John Kleisic, uh Jake, in this, is that you know transhumanism is really just a, a trans you know it's a transmutation from eugenics. So uh, what they did is uh, they they took the eugenics principle, which is that based on good breeding, you would breed a certain species of human being, a particular race or a particular group, and breed out all the inferiors well they instead of just using genetics now they uh they aim at using technology to 
create this special elite species and uh, or race. And so eugenics uh, really transmuted into transhumanism. And transhumanism, and this is really, interestingly, it is Julian Huxley that coined the term transhumanism. And he was a eugenicist big time and the first head of UNESCO. And um, he wrote blatantly in his opening salvo as the head of UNESCO that he needed to give eugenics a good name after the Nazis had basically besmirched it. So mm-hmm. he he wanted to make it thinkable again. Uh, so, and then he writes about transhumanism. So, I mean, this is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Transhumanism is eugenics transformed with yeah. a facelift. Yeah, it is. And uh, you know, when you uh, you mention uh, Huxley, he also, uh, as the head of UNESCO, the uh, the uh, uh, UN agency. He actually hired, after he was taken, he was out of prison, uh, a gentleman by the name of Schmidt, who was the head of IG Farben uh, mm-hmm. back in Nazi Germany. And with uh, this uh, uh, Mr. Schmidt, and I don't know if he was a doctor, I don't think he was. I think he was more just a corporate businessman, but they came up with a program uh, that uh, is, is meant to control the ingestion of uh, different uh, uh, food and so forth. And uh, that program was actually written into the UN under UNESCO a long time ago, and it's called Codex Elementarius. Mm-hmm. And uh, Obama, of all people, signed on to that in 2010. He actually through a, a, a uh, I don't know if it was an executive order, but I think through a um, you know, off the books mm-hmm. acceptance, he actually signed on to the Codex Alimentarius. And what they say in that program is that vitamins, anything that goes into the human body will be strictly controlled by the global government, and it will mm-hmm. be controlled under the UN, and they will determine how many calories we get, what substances go into our bodies, and uh, literally, it's, it's uh, Soylent Green, I guess. Yeah. That's about as close as I can get to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, and they have make no they make no bones about the fact that they want to control our consumption entirely, uh, not only our diets but every other aspect of our consumption. Uh, that's that is those that are left of us uh, after the calling, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, Codex Alimentarius and uh, and the, and the region the recent uh, programs for insect and uh, synthetic meats, uh, which the World Economic Forum has written about this right on their websites. This is not a joke. Uh, they do advocate eating insects uh, for protein. Uh, so uh, this this is really not this is not made up. This is not just a meme. This is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they even uh, they they not only uh, talk about it, but they actually uh, promoted it at, at the uh, uh, recent COP twenty seven conference in mm-hmm. uh, Egypt. They uh, they talked about it there, and they were going to serve a meal uh, to the uh, attendees to the COP conference, uh, and it was uh, 
manufactured chicken, I believe, that uh, they synthetic had. Synthetic meat, yeah. Synthetic uh, chicken that they had. And as it turned out, uh, the only people that ate it were the uh, the visitors. Uh, the people that uh, are part of the conference went and had uh, prime rib and uh, enjoyed their their regular diets. This is not, this is the funny part about it, Michael. Yeah. Uh, when they say this stuff, it's, it's strictly us. We're oh, yeah. the only ones that are going to have to put up with this crap. They certainly aren't. No, absolutely. In fact, they're, they're, if they're, I don't even want to call it a double standard because they just don't believe that these standards apply to them at all. Uh, this is strictly for the hoi polloi. Uh, this is for the masses. This is not for the elite who must, because of their importance as they see it, must be able to travel around in jets and uh, uh, to, uh, to you know, like uh, Budajeg, uh, to go to wherever they want on a, on a, on a, on a dime and uh, to eat whatever they want. And uh, th this has nothing to do with them at all. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, um, you know, when you when you talked about the uh, uh, the whole ESG and woke, there, there's terminology, and they, you used it throughout your book. But uh, they have these terms that they use, and uh, you know, it's a dead giveaway of what they're up to. You know, yeah. their so-called woke capitalism and all this other stuff. I don't know if you noticed, but I put a um, I put a title on the yes. article that I sent out in uh, ESG and woke capitalism, and then I put uh, totalitarian totalitarianism with feudalistic characteristics. Yeah, I noticed that. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, this is so much. Uh, so much interest in this, and I just wish people would wake up to the reality of it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of these, how they've transformed uh, what used to be free market capitalism mm -hmm. and the processes they went through to get where they're uh, where they're going with this. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was Klaus Schwab in 1971 in his book, uh, I think it's uh, corporate management and mechanical engineering or something like that. Uh, he introduced this term stakeholder capitalism. And uh, this this is a misnomer if there ever was one because it seems to suggest that, uh, and he suggested it, what this means is that everybody, not just shareholders, but uh, also uh, customers and workers, uh, but also society, the community and the planet now are stakeholders in what businesses do. And so businesses should not be uh, oriented to profit strictly. They must be oriented to all their stakeholders, as they put it. But this is just a, uh, well, what this is, is a bait and switch routine, really, I guess. Because what they're baiting uh, the populace with, with this idea of the stakeholder capitalism is that, oh, this is great. Everybody's a stakeholder now, just as we always wanted. We, we, have, we have a say in what these companies do uh, and so on and so forth. They can't pollute outside of our, without our uh, permission. And, you know, we have this stay, a say in, in, these, in this corporate behavior. 
and this this stakeholder capitalism goes all the way back to uh, what they call corporate responsibility uh, marketing or capitalism from the fifties. And uh, so, but the thing is that this stakeholder capitalism is really a scheme by which they basically monopolize the market because they use this ESG score as the metric for measuring the viability of a stakeholder where, you know, company. And the ESG is a way of evaluating companies along this environmental, social, and governance index. And what it happens is the ones who are stakeholders are those who are uh, complying with the regime, the ESG regime, and those who do not comply with the ESG uh, regime are effectively starved of capital. That's what stakeholder capitalism really is. So the stakeholders are the companies that are compliant and uh, also pushing and uh, driving this stakeholder capitalism ESG regime. And everybody else who's not on board is out. So it's a cartel scheme. Uh, it's a cartel or a shared monopoly scheme uh, to drive out all kinds of competitors from business. And uh, that's really what stakeholder capitalism comes down to. Uh, and it's being driven from the very top echelons of society, from the world's leading asset manager, BlackRock Inc., uh, Larry Fink, who sits on the board of the World Economic Forum, by the way, uh, and um, and also has memberships in many of these other globalist organizations that we've already referred to. He, uh, controlling $10 trillion worth of assets, is directing assets toward these stakeholder-worthy companies, these ESG-abiding companies, and away from others. He says it blatantly. Uh, those who, there was a tectonic shift underway towards this ESG stakeholder regime. And those who do not get on board will be, will be, will be, uh, will wither on the vine in effect. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then almost all the other world's leading asset managers, uh, State Street, UB, uh, US, UBS, uh, uh, Vanguard Group, uh, you name it, they're all behind us. And then the world's leading uh, banks are also behind it. In fact, um, the Silicon Valley Bank, which just failed, they were totally behind this ESG and woke mm -hmm. agenda. And they were pushing this woke agenda up into the moment of failure. Uh, and uh, they were deeply in, in the ESG uh, abiding camp and promoters of the ESG. Uh, Bank of America is a very big uh, ESG stakeholder capitalism advocate. Brian Moynihan, the president, said, and he goes to all the annual meetings, basically. And he said many times at these meetings, you, if you don't meet the stakeholder bar, you don't deserve a loan. You will not, we will not do business with you. And they're advocating this to spread out. So everybody gets in on this game and everybody denies the non-ESG companies any business. You don't get you you don't get business you don't get loans you don't get asset, you don't get uh, investments in your stocks you get nothing and <clears throat> this is what they're doing that's how they're that's really the main lever by which they're undertaking this great reset 
So they have, it's not a secret cabal at all. This is, this is metastasized into the whole corporate social body so that it's now running deeply. Now there has been some pushback lately. Um, I, I don't know how effective it'll be. Uh, there were 19, uh, state's attorney generals who said they are pulling their money out from this, uh, from BlackRock, uh, for, because of their ESGs. And then some Congress, there's some congressmen, uh, that recently, uh, said that they are also, I mean, there's some activity in legislation and so forth to try to stop the ESG, uh, because it's not, first of all, it doesn't benefit anybody. It's, it, it's, it's, it's it's distorts the market tremendously. Uh, it it doesn't pay uh, the uh, the the stocks do not pay as well as other stocks, and they have enormous uh, costs fees attended to them. They're forty uh, the fees are forty three percent higher than regular stocks, and it's driving business to this woke cartel. That's really the main issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're you're right, and um, it in effect it uh, completely destroys small business, uh, oh. startups. It's it's to get rid of all these uh, all these startup businesses, all these uh, young young entrepreneurs. They can't get funding for their projects because these monopolies are taking over the whole the whole realm, the whole business realm. And yeah, uh, with that, Michael, the the uh, uh, the monopolies that they've created now are uh, really many of them, even though they talk about ESG and all the, you know, the social environmental things that they're doing. In fact, very few of them are doing any of them. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it, it, it's a lot of lip service and it's a lot of uh, promoting the idea of global government but they really don't do a whole lot. And like you say, it costs an awful lot just to, uh, they're, they're not as uh, not as profitable as the businesses that are not tied into this mess. Right, and also, I mean, yeah, ESG, as Elon Musk said, is a scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the interesting thing is that, you know, after he bought Twitter, uh, the S&P 500's ESG index, uh, he got thrown off. Tesla was thrown off the S uh, S and P 500 uh, ESG index altogether, mm-hmm. uh, and that just shows you that it has nothing to do with environment at all. It is about membership in this cartel, and he offended the woke cartel. He he threatened the woke cartel with his Twitter buyout, and uh, he. Um, you know, he may be a, a figure of limited hangout or something like that, but nevertheless, I think they still see him as a, a threat, uh, especially with the, the Twitter file releases and all that. Uh, and we see that the uh, Federal Trade Commission is going after uh, te- uh, after uh, Twitter uh, vehemently. So, yeah, I mean, it just shows you that um, the ESG is a scam and... Uh, even the the company that rates the leading rater of these companies in the ESG rating company says it isn't about the environment. It's about protecting businesses from from social from criticism from 
from uh, the from it's not about protecting the world from uh, business uh, the world from businesses. It's about protecting businesses from the world. That that's basically <laughs> how they put it. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, people like you and me, uh, the the dissenters, they're protecting them from us. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then they use this as a moral justification for their fact that stakeholder capitalism also spills into a governance model uh, because Klaus Schwab has said, and in fact, the, um, uh, the stakeholder regime ensures that these corporations become part of global governance and they start controlling the behaviors of everybody through this global governance stakeholder regime because what what it does is because if these companies will you know produce x y and z and not abc then this already controls your consumption because they won't produce what you want they only produce what they say you want or what you should want and uh and then uh they start to dictate policies so this is not really government driven at the top. It's actually being driven. It's extra governmental. And then they're pushing it ahead. And then the governmental regulations and all this falls behind. That's they're 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 trying to get a first mover advantage into this cartel. And then the cartel actually forces laws down down our throats. Uh, so that's how it's working. It's uh mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, Elon Musk, but um, I don't know if you know too much about his background. I think mm-hmm. you do. But yeah. uh, he was a South African, and he actually right. escaped the ANC and and got out of South Africa because there's so little opportunity there now under the communists that control the government. Right. And uh, they're making they're it racist. very difficult. They're, for the, they're yeah. very racist. Yeah. Yeah. And they're making it almost having... Im- Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no problem. The, yeah, you're right. I mean the the uh, the most dangerous occup- occupation today in the world is being a white farmer in South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. You know, if if you're a boar in South Africa and uh and you're producing food and so forth, uh chances are you're going to get killed. Uh it, it, very soon. I mean, I, I don't know what the ratios are, but they did a, uh, Harry Bullions is a guest, frequent guest of mine. And Harry is, a, uh, he was a, a PhD physicist in the weapons industry in South Africa. And he escaped about, I don't know, 25 years ago and wrote a book called Amabulu about the whole history of South Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, th- at the time he said that, uh, the uh, uh, chances of dying in South Africa, if you're a white farmer, are about three times as high as they were at the time we were in Afghanistan uh, fighting against the Mahajin, uh, and uh, and the chances of dying in South Africa were about three times as much as U.S. troops. Uh, that's how dangerous the occupation was. Anyway. Uh, Elon Musk came to the United States and he and he bragged and uh, that he came here with a with the clothes on his back, uh, a valise full of clothes and a, a suitcase full of books, and that's how he got to the United States. I right. don't think they realized 
just exactly how uh, open-minded he was. And frankly, I there was a time when I, I didn't trust Elon Musk either when, yeah. you know, he was talking about the interface between AI and the human body and all this stuff. I mean, he was kind of promoting that a few years back. And I think I've started to realize that uh, he, he's kind of like you. Uh, he, he <laughs> he's a defector. You know, he might have... Yeah, he's a defector, exactly. And and when he bought Twitter, uh, I think he really did want to straighten the mess out, and mm -hmm. uh, and I think he's going to do a good job of it. I uh, started I'm, to, I'm yeah. convinced now that, yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, I I didn't mean to get off track there, but when oh, you're no, talking about of... ESG and the so-called woke capitalism. Um, really, in effect, you're saying that they want to create a international cartel that totally controls everything that's manufactured. And here's what people don't understand, and this is what you were trying to uh, point out in your book. It's not only uh, you know the uh, the manufacturer of products, but they're going to determine what we what products we get to use. And Absolutely. it's not going to be a lot. Right. I mean, their ultimate goal is to shut down free market capitalism the way it is and consumption. That's Very the key thing. word, consumption. Consumption yeah. has been the target of these people, especially consumption in the developed world. This has been their target forever. And that's tied in with the Malthusianism and all that. Uh, they want to reduce the population because of consumption, and they uh, they have said in various tracks and places that the consumption in the developed world is more pernicious than consumption in the in the developing world because the developed world people consume more. Likewise, they need to reduce the population in the developed world, and so to, so as to reduce the consumption. Uh, this has been their uh, their bugbear consumption for some time uh and it's all tied up with uh all of these terms like uh equity and uh, uh inclusion all this stuff is all connected and sustainability uh sustainability is that word that you know uh comes out of agenda 21 and then leaks into agenda 2030 or really pours into agenda 2030 mm -hmm. And uh, which uh, is really a code word that takes a lot to unpack uh, because this code word embeds uh, neo-Malthusian uh, ethics, as they would call it, uh, population ethics, and it embeds consumption issues and it embeds reproductive issues and it embeds behavioral modification uh, and so on and so forth because uh, to be, and it embeds equity too. Uh, so their idea about equity is this. Uh, because the developed world consumes more and the developing world consumes less, they want to transfer wealth from the developed world to the developing world, not by building up the developing world because that would make them unsustainable. They can't have unsustainable mm -hmm. production, so we can't actually foster their, their industry. We got to keep, in fact, we need to bribe their elite to keep them from developing any industry. And so the, this is these wealth transfers. This is equity. And this is how equity is tied into sustainability. 
we must take money from here so these people can't consume it, tax them and take their money and give it to the develop, developing world so that they won't develop. That's, <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. sustainability and equity are about. It's just, it's just crazy. So uh, when I was reading this stuff, I'm trying to figure out what equals what here. And I started to figure out this is kind of a circle. It's very circular logic, but sustainability equals equity, which equals, equals sustainability. Um, that's how they, they mm -hmm. really think of it. And population, of course, is part of that population and, uh, and so forth. Yeah, population and consumption. Uh, but it all hinges on basically uh, sustainability as the uh, means. And then, of course, the other code words they use are gender equality. Uh, and gender equality uh, sounds good on its face, but it really is about encouraging women to do nothing but have careers. They don't want them reproducing. This now becomes voluntary, uh, you know, uh, family family planning. Um, previously, the UN, of course, had uh, had uh, promoted uh, forced abortions and sterilization. Now they want it to be voluntary. So what they have been promoting is gender equality, and this gender equality. You know, I mean, I believe in women should be able to do whatever men do. Now, of course, this this goes without saying. But what they're trying to do is make sure they don't do anything else. Uh, that's the key. Yeah, no, you're you're spot on with that. And uh, what they're doing is they're they're trying to convince women that having children is like torture. Yes. Uh, you know, this is a, an abuse of your body if you actually bear children. Now, I know a few women that actually enjoy childbirth and yeah. enjoy uh, procreation and having children because they see it as a blessing rather than uh, as, as a, an evil thing. But that's the difference between Christianity and, and basically in Satanism because yeah. uh, doing the same thing with the transgender and Mm -hmm. and the homosexual lobby and all this stuff. It's yeah. all about reducing the human population yes. to somewhere between a half a billion and a billion people. This, this is how I got thrown off Twitter before. Uh, very bad timing uh, on my part. A week before Musk took over Twitter, <laughs> I, made, <laughs> I made this remark. I said, Transgenderism is part of a neo-Malthusian population control program. And that was it. That was the last tweet I made from that account. They they temp they permanently suspended it. I still haven't gotten it back. Wow. Uh, I'm operating under a different name. Basically, I I I I I basically took over somebody else's Twitter account. They they let me take it over. So I'm kind of like inhabiting it. I'm a ghost in the machine in that that account. But uh, that's how I got thrown off officially from Twitter on the anti-woke prof account, because I said that transgenderism is is a prong of the, a neo-Malthusian depopulation campaign. Boy, that was it. Uh, you can't say that, I guess. You couldn't say that before uh, on Twitter. And that's a no-no. It must be... True, 
because they didn't allow yeah, me to say yeah. it. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, common sense and uh, truth uh, have nothing to do with uh, the uh, the new dialogue that's considered woke. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's the exact opposite. What they're doing right. is they're trying to shut down anybody that points out that the emperor has no clothes. Right. Yeah. And if you point out that transgenderism, which is, you know, this rage, all the rage, uh, that it has something to do with actually that it's an elite project, that this is not some grassroots thing, that this is being promoted by billionaires, which it is, mm -hmm. uh, the strikers and the, um, uh, I forget the name of the other uh, billionaires family, billionaire family, uh, a legion of these people. Are, are pumping billions of dollars into this, uh, and uh, they are promoting it, uh, and uh, it makes sense that it's part of the elite's agenda uh, because they they are, you know, as you said, they're anti-Christian and they're anti-reproduction and they're anti-human flourishing, and likewise, they're anti-life. Uh, uh, they're anti-life, mm -hmm. and... Uh, mm -hmm. And this this does make them Satanists, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Well, the difference between the the people who are uh, believers in this global governance and those of us that are just average Americans is that we see life in a very different way. And you referred to the Malthusian uh, concept. Uh, a lot of these people, they see life as a zero-sum game. There can't mm -hmm. possibly be winners and winners. There's right. got to be a loser right. for every winner. That's their model and in economics. That yeah, that's their economic understanding is they think if somebody gets wealthy, then somebody else must be getting poor. And this is really premised on Marxism at base. And said so Marx, mm -hmm. in his theory of exploitation, which is false, uh, his conception that if the, the that the capitalist gets rich at the worker's expense, and uh, that it's exploitation that that he steals from the laborer at the point of production, and therefore it's a zero sum game. Uh, but uh, this is completely false. Uh, there's no such thing as this kind of exploit, this theft, uh, this is not a routine phenomenon that capitalists or the producers are routinely stealing every day from these workers on a constant basis, half of their weight, half of their worth, half their value that they're inputting mm -hmm. into the economy. Uh, this, has been, this has been disproven by economists, but they have this zero-sum thinking. So anything that is uh, wealthy, they see it as reducing somebody else's poverty and depending on that poverty, depending on it, that you can't mm -hmm. get rich without making somebody poor uh, or you can't have uh, anything without detracting from somebody else. Like you can't have children that, that detracts from the, the um, sustainability and the quality of life. That's another phrase they use, the quality of life of other people. Um, mm -hmm. zero sum thinking is their game all the way through. I don't know if they believe it or if that, but that's what they mobilize. Uh, I don't know whether they believe zero sum game thinking, uh, or whether they just say they do in order to bring about what they want. 
But most yeah. of these people, it's very interesting about the left. And I want to talk about that if I don't, if you don't mind. Absolutely. But the left, uh, the left um, doesn't understand that the people that are running this world are not capitalists as pure capitalists at all. These people are actually not pure capitalists. They're actually social engineering socialists, corporate socialists, or uh, what else can you call them? Uh, monopolists. They, monopolists. Monopolists. Yeah. They want to control it all. Yeah. Yes. And and you point out to a, a, a socialist or a leftist that socialism is nothing if not a monopoly scheme, and their heads explode. Oh, what do you mean it's a monopoly scheme? Well, listen, you're saying only only the state can own all production. That's a monopoly. Don't you get that? And so they don't see it. They can't see it. They think only capitalism is monopolistic. No, no. Capitalism is not monopolistic. It is actually all things tending towards monopoly or tending towards socialism. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Spot on. And uh, when, when, when you talk about... Um, you know, the the uh, redistribution of wealth, you talk about equity. This is their term is equity. Yeah. And uh, and you were talking about Marxism, how uh, Marx talked about how the uh, the bourgeoisie were uh, stealing from the average person. Now, this is a mentality that says that all people should absolutely have the same outcome in their mm -hmm. life. And oh, yeah. this is totalitarianism. I mean, yeah. uh, we, we have to understand that some people are natural entrepreneurs. And certainly we were talking about Elon Musk. That's a perfect yeah. example. Right. Uh, and look at all the people that he's made wealthy and all the things that he's done by being the kind of entrepreneur that he is. It's, it's uh, as Reagan said, uh, a rising tide raises all boats yeah yeah they just don't get this concept or if they do if they do know this is true they don't want all the boats to lift <laughs> right. <laughs> right if they take those boats they lift all those boats and they're gonna they're gonna destroy the world according yes. to their thinking yeah that's right because when I, when I tried to figure out what these people's world really what they really what their worldview really is okay so the only thing I could come up with, and I think this is true, is they look at the, the world as their potential Eden, okay? And they look at the masses of humanity as encroaching and threatening this Eden. And this is why, and they look at them as the savage hordes, the, the scourge on the planet that must be eliminated or it must be tamed and pushed out and thinned out and controlled. Because otherwise they will overtake this Eden and ruin it, and so just like in the um, in the you know in the biblical narrative of Adam and Eve, they conceive of an original sin. And what's what's the original sin for these people? It seems that actually reproduction is the original sin. Mm -hmm. People reproducing—that's the problem. Uh, and uh, and and then of course subsequent to that, ec uh, economic and industrial development. This is all. Mm -hmm against their Eden. So these consumption, people, consumption, yes, consumption, mm -hmm. because you're eating the apples. <laughs> yeah, that's Even though right. They're the ones that gave them the apple. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Consumption is really the, I think the real original sin for them. 
and uh you know and uh, so they always uh, they have this kind of i think that's really what it boils to down to so people like bill gates and uh i mean he's just a, i think a you know he's just a typical player on on, on this platform i think uh there's many uh bigger players but this is how they look at us uh and uh this is why they can justify eugenics and transhumanism and uh in the whole nine yards because they look at us as the scourge um the scourge on the planet i agree with that now um i, I did a a did program not long ago in fact i think over the weekend uh, we did a program on tribalism and uh the difference between egalitarianism and tribalism mm -hmm. and that's a key part of the the ESG and the New World Order. They're trying to promote uh, indigenous people and tribalism again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're talking about how guys like you and me, we're uh, evil white men. Uh, right. we're, we're part of this uh, uh, scourge on the world because uh, we've destroyed the whole world mm -hmm. because we're so selfish. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now we need to go back to tribalism. And I don't think most people understand tribalism, for the most part, was Stone Age cultures. And yeah. you talk about the ultimate non-consumers. The reason they're so attracted to tribalism and in indigenous people is because they don't consume anything, and they're damned easy to control. Right. I mean, there, there was a reason that when... Uh, Columbus landed in uh, in the in, in the North America, or actually in on the islands. But uh, when he landed here, there's a reason there were only five million Native Americans, and that was because they were so busy killing each other, right, and enslaving each other, right, exactly. And they had a really tough existence. They didn't have this wonderful existence that uh, somehow they want to try to paint today. They were nomads, right, right. Uh, they yeah, traveled. They, right. They want to paint this idea of the noble savage. Yeah, they, they want to paint this idea of the noble savage that they lived in, that they were like, uh, they were better than the civilized people and uh, they were uh, they lived in uh, harmony with nature and uh, each other and all this nonsense, which is just not true. Uh, in fact, they were savage in terms of their bellicosity towards each other, tribalistic and uh, ruthless in many cases between uh, tribes. And so, I mean, you know, you, you, I think Mel Brooks, uh, not Mel Brooks, Mel Gibson's movie uh, uh, about the, uh, I think it was the Incas uh, or the uh, Aztecs uh, was pretty accurate about, you know, they, they were brutal. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I forget what that movie was called. Uh, Apocalypto, I think. Yeah. Apocalypto. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, it was, uh, I think it was really good, but you know, that part of the deal with, uh, and I'm using the tribes in North America now as an example uh, they the deal was was that they would when they ran into a another tribe that kill the males and steal the women and children yeah. and turn them into basically slaves. Now 
Um, you know, it may not have been slaves that were working in cane fields, right? but they were no less taken by those tribes of slaves. And right. uh, the deal there is the reason for that is because they were getting so inbred, and that was the way that you would uh, defeat the inbreeding that was happening in tribal cultures is by stealing other tribes, their women and their children, and then you could uh, copulate with them and have a new bloodline based. Yeah, less inbreeding. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, there's this push, and uh, uh, in the UN, has been pushing this. Uh, uh, what they call uh, immig uh, immigrant resettlement and things like that. And so the UN has basically said that land uh, is not, it should not be anyone's property, that land should not be uh, held privately. Uh, and therefore, mm -hmm. we can resettle these uh, uh, indigenous populations on land will take over and then resettle them, these people in these, in these places. Uh, so th this is, a, you know, there's, they've been co communist. <laughs> the UN is a communist group. Okay. It's just a different approach to getting there. Uh, it's just a very, very roundabout way of getting there. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, now they're in league with the world economic forum, their partners, their partners in the, with the world economic forum, they formed a partnership in 2019 effectively to bring about the U S the UN's, uh, 2030 sustainable development goals, which is effectively the reset, the great reset. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the UN, I think, uh, you go back in your book, you talk about uh, uh, the, uh, uh, no crap, what was the predecessor of the UN that uh, Wilson tried to form? League of Nations. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's always around a communist ideology because yeah. I don't think people really understand that uh, the Dumbarton Books Conference in San Francisco, where they really laid out the architecture of the UN, of the 15 American delegates there, uh, 12 of them were communists. Right. And uh, Alger Hiss, the first uh, yeah. so-called secretary general of the UN, uh, was a communist agent. Oh, yes, and, absolutely. Outed by Whitaker Chambers, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, when you get right down to it, it was always designed to be... A, uh, a communist organization that was set up that way. Yes. And, and a even though Americans don't want to believe it, a globalist one. And that's why the John Birch Society has been warning about the UN uh, ever since the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they've been right. <laughs> they've been right. Uh, what they've said has been right. And uh, mm -hmm. now we're going to see why those warnings were issued, especially as the WHO... Uh, is it you know attempting to push through this uh, this new pot this new treaty right this new treaty to uh, take over control of uh, all medical emergency situations worldwide? Um, I don't know what the thing is called. I forget the exact name right off the cuff, but you, you know I'm certain I'm I'm certain you do. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and uh, naturally that's the same. 
the WHO is doing that, but the WEF is the one that's talking about how they're going to actually, uh, that's on their agenda. Uh, yeah. the new the new plague you know they're talking uh, right. uh, hemorrhagic fever and they're talking all these different uh, potential plagues that are going on you know damn good well they've been planning this uh, since day one you know it's yeah. they're the ones that are going to create these plagues and then with that uh, you know of course what we're seeing now in the pilots uh, we're starting to see all these pilots dropping dead. Yeah. Um, it's almost a daily occurrence anymore, right. and yet they had to be fully vaccinated. Well, guess what? UN Agenda 21, one of uh, their primary goals is to end uh, flights, to end the the idea of people uh, flying around the world. Wow. Unless you're Al Gore. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. You know, it is just the the means by which they're doing it, which is interesting. I mean, uh, it's hard not to see this all as very coordinated, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. And the all the, the dots do connect. Yes. The dots all the do uh, infrastructure that they're destroying and uh, the, the explosions at uh, chicken egg plants and uh, mineral f- uh, metals factories and uh, uh, just you name it, all this stuff going on simultaneously, railroad derailments and chemical uh, fires. And, uh, you know, I can't help but think that this is coordinated. I mean, there's just no way all these things happen like this. Michael, there was a uh, a document that was written in 1958, and it was... Um, and I have I've I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. But I'm going to go do the research and find it. Uh, it might be something for your next book. But there was a document written in 1958 in uh, the Soviet Union, and it was talking about how they were going to bring down the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And in that book, they talked about what would be happening just before the fall of the United States. And it's fascinating because it was uh, talking about going after food production, derailment of trains. Uh, all the things that are going on right now were things that they predicted in 1958 that would be happening just before the United States was taken down and brought into the one world uh, communist system. Yeah. Yeah, we could talk about why that is that they have to do with that. Why is that? Uh, why do they uh, need to target our 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 infrastructure and our social order, our our you know our our morale? Why are these this massive demoralization campaigns with the with all of these uh, uh, crazy uh, inverted uh, uh, moral this whole inverted moral system of uh, uh, promoting uh you know decadence and perversity and insanity really uh it's it's you know why do they need to do that uh, that's something that we could talk about what what do you think oh absolutely and and matter of fact uh, you know i enjoy this i really enjoy your uh your metamorphosis uh mm-hmm. from from being a marxist professor and i i don't know if uh 
I, some of our viewers, I'm sure, have uh, heard this story before, but I'm, I find it absolutely fascinating. And I'd, I'd like to talk about how, um, it, it, just briefly, how mm -hmm. when you had your, uh, you know, your first, I guess, uh, questions about this whole, you know, free speech zone mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm and all yeah. the censorship and all this stuff, how yeah. that uh, was translated and how the college, how uh, NYU, how the faculty went after you and basically demonized you for just speaking the truth. Yeah, it started like in the uh, spring of 2015 and uh, my department held this, uh, this uh, social justice uh, colloquium. And uh, I... And uh, there was uh, uh, they had us read uh, an article by uh, what's his name? Hate, uh, I forget his first name. Uh, Jonathan Hate and somebody else, I forget his name. But anyway, basically the idea was they were going to start instituting this whole social justice uh, uh, policy policy in the in the university. It was coming down like immediately. Uh, and uh, I gathered right away that this was, uh, they were talking about, you know, prohibiting speech and, uh, you know, shutting down speakers, and they were justifying it uh, on the grounds that these people were dangerous to minorities or other people. They were dangerous. Uh, so they started this dangerous stuff. And then um, in the fall, they... They instituted a bias reporting hotline at NYU where you you could report your professor for a bias infraction to this bias response team. Uh, and uh, they could do this by email or phone. And it's it was secret. It was a secret uh, reporting system so that you, nobody would know who reported them or not. So I thought this was like a Stasi state being set up right in the middle of the... Uh, <laughs> right right in the middle of the university i'm like what is going on then they uh shut down speakers like uh, uh milo Yiannopoulos had uh, come to campus and they or they were going to come to campus but they shut down the event because they said that uh the hall where he would speak would be too close to where transgender people might be walking and they might overhear something which could endanger them and then they set up, after Trump won the election, they set up safe spaces where students could go and get protection from, from the mean things that were being said by Trump and other mean people. And they had petting animals and uh, pacifiers at these, uh, at these uh, safe spaces, pacifiers and petting animals. Uh, and wow. so I said, this is a lunacy. So I said, you know, the, the <laughs> university is turning into a surveillance state. At the same time, they're turning students. It's in, turning it into a uh, uh, to a uh, uh, what's the term for adolescent? No, uh, uh, what uh, what's the kind of ward where they have kids? A um, uh, a nursery. Uh, a nursery. Uh, uh, well, in a hospital. What, are they, <laughs> what do they call it? The uh, Ward, I forget what ward it oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so okay. they were turning it into a, uh, to a kind of like a hospital, you know, where uh, 
And so there was all of these things. And I said, this is crazy. So I spoke up against it in the newspaper or I was actually on Twitter first. Then this newspaper reporter from NYU, uh, from the new student newspaper contacted me, said, are you really an NYU professor saying all these things? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, I'd like to interview you. And I was anonymous at the point at this point on Twitter. So I was criti uh, criticizing this stuff ruthlessly on Twitter. And then I went and did the interview and I decided I'm going to let, I'm going to let it go under my name. So I came out in public and made this vast criticism and, and, uh, tore at this stuff within two days, the Dean calls me in and, uh, there's waiting in there. He never told me would be the head of human resources. And they basically, uh uh, they, uh, what is that? Uh, I'm losing uh, words here. <laughs> they, uh, you know, effectively, uh, uh, ransacked me. They, 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 uh, they basically pushed me into this leave of absence and, uh, they said I was crazy and, uh, they tried to strong arm me into this leave and, uh, and they, um, <laughs> uh, they uh, then at the same time that that was going on, uh, the newspaper was actually just releasing a criticism of my interview by the diversity, equity and inclusion group uh, who basically called me guilty for the struck for my thoughts. They said he is guilty for the structure and content of his thoughts of his thinking. That's what they said. Wow. So they literally accused me of wrong think. And <laughs> that, that is unbelievable. So wrong thing. They had the, uh, uh, the Dean or the head of human resources, uh, follow me to my office and says, she's going to sit with me and stay with me while I'm on campus until I leave campus. I said, no, that's not going to happen. So I said, I, I don't, I'm not having you like shadow me around here. Uh, and already I noticed as I come out of the Dean's office, all these faculty members are like looking at me like I'm uh, like I'm a leper, like a, like a moral leper. And they started like, you know, basically, you know, basically uh, mm -hmm. avoiding me and looking down or else, you know, looking away or actually looking disgusted. And they forced me off campus. And uh, then when I came back, uh, this group of faculty uh, started the, uh, this email list or this through the official email of NYU, a big, huge email list of faculty and uh, administrators and uh, so forth. They started to call me every name in the book, like racist, sexist, uh, homophobe, fascist, Nazi, alt-right, uh, short pants, white devil, Satan, all of these names. And uh, <laughs> then instead of, chastising these people or punishing them for what they said, they moved my office to the Russian department. Uh, <laughs> and, and they put me in this room with no books. They wouldn't move my books. Uh, they wouldn't give me office support. They wouldn't give me uh, secretarial staff support. They wouldn't let me have access to a copier or a telephone, nothing. It was like a metal, bare metal shelf. So I say they put me in my own personal gulag over there. Okay, so all of this was a great awakening for me because I realized what totalitarians I was dealing with and that by criticizing this uh, social justice wokeness on campus, I had really touched a third rail. 
and that there was serious power behind this. And this was the ideology of the ruling elite, I, I came to realize. Oh, you hit it right on the head. It was a third rail. And, yeah. uh, of course, the Frankfurt School came out of Columbia, which is right. nearby. So, right. um, you, you yeah. know, it's it, it's been the system for the longest time. And I, I equate uh, your, your epiphany uh, and the way it happened to you is uh, it's like I used to be a smoker. Yeah. Uh, and, boy, there's nothing in the world that uh, makes you any more anti-smoker than having quit. And right, right, right. So that, that's true. So when you leave uh, a particular orientation, you become the fiercest critic of that orientation. Uh, and so that's really where I've been. Um, uh, there's this, this thing that you become the fiercest critic. So I'm not the first, naturally. In fact, I mentioned Whitaker Chambers. He was a communist who defected mm -hmm. and became a fierce critic of communism. And then there's Thomas Sowell, of course, and then there's uh, David Horowitz. And there, I mean, the list goes on and on. So there's a long list of defectors uh, who become the fiercest critics of that particular orientation. Now I realize it's not just leftism, it's, it's elitism, it's globalism, it's that the, the elite are leftist, really. They are leftist. This this is the key, and this is what the left will never understand. They complain like they're the underdogs, but their their ideology is the ruling ideology. It's the ruling class ideology. Mm -hmm. Well, and ultimately, I, I, I say, I use these people, I call them uh, useful idiots. I think yes, uh, many of the people on the idiots. left are useful idiots because... The ultimate goal is not Marxism, not communism. It's feudalism. Yes. It's a handful of the very wealthiest industrials and bankers uh, yeah. in control of everything. And the same people who are promoting socialism and Marxism and all this stuff, they'll be part of the cannon fodder. Oh, absolutely. They'll be the first to go. And mm -hmm. um, I, I said this, I think, in the book that... Uh, the left is, uh, they're basically useful idiots who support the regime. They're actually doing the bidding of these globalist elites. Uh, they're the foot soldiers in the case of like Antifa or whatever, you you know, and Black Lives Matter. They're the foot soldiers for this globalist elite. They're actually doing their work. They're doing their bidding um, because the, they want to destroy national sovereignty and they want to destroy national identity and culture and Western civilization, and who better to do it than these ground troops like Black Lives Matter and Antifa? They're the ground troops doing the groundwork, clearing the clearing the path for this global agenda uh, because they're destroying anything else. They're destroying capitalism. They're destroying national sovereignty. They're destroying individual rights. They're destroying uh, self-determination. They're destroying the vocabulary. They're destroying... Uh, historical memory, culture, they're destroying, you know, they're destroying everything that they can because they got to clear out the four olds, if you will, as in, mm -hmm. as in, this, uh, as in China, uh, with the red guards who were who, in the cultural revolution, they had to get rid of the four olds, you know, for uh, the four olds, old traditions, old ideas, old customs, old habits, they had to get rid of all that, to get rid of all that in order to usher in this global agenda. 
And when they're doing this, Michael, they uh, uh, they recognize that these foot soldiers are expendable because part of the agenda is to kill off a whole bunch of people. Right. So the more they get these people stirred up and and create this divisive culture and this hatred right. amongst different groups, the more likely they're going to achieve their goal of uh, reducing the uh, the population and. What you're telling our listeners is absolutely that what their plan is, is to create a lot of enemies of each other. Mm -hmm. And in the process, that will allow them to become the cannon fodder, them to be the expendables. And it was planned that way from the very beginning. That's part of globalism. Right. Hmm? Now, of course, you probably heard that the vaccines, the, the deadly val- uh, batches, m- went mostly to the red states. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they counted on the, you know, basically the defectors, those who would be dissidents and altogether refuse. Uh, and that's really now the target, of course, those people. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, uh, they apparently seem to have targeted uh, red states to get, you know, to reduce population with the bad vials or whatever. Uh, This seems to be the case. Uh, And likewise, uh, you know, reduce that population. But they didn't count on, I don't think, although maybe they have counted on it and they have other plans, but uh, the resistors, you know, Mm -hmm. the real resistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of us out there. Um, yeah. You know, they claim that uh, uh, 80% of the population is uh, has at least one or two uh, injections. They really aren't vaccines, but injections. Right. And in fact, I think uh, the number is much smaller than that. I believe that probably a third of the people in this country refuse to get vaccinated. I really all- believe that. Yeah, I yeah. believe that too. Yeah, I think that was it. Uh, a good proportion of the population refused it altogether. I see them all over the internet. I see them all over different uh, social media sites and uh, news sites, and that's a lot. It's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people who did not fall for this, uh, and uh, that's good. That's a good sign. Um, but really, what is remarkable is how 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 useful idiots uh, think that they're radical. I I know this for a fact because I know that also they think that the left and this is the underdog and they're they're beleaguered and they're fighting the man and all this and they're actually serving the man. They're literally mm-hmm. lifting his. They're falling behind the king, holding up his robes. It's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, you 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 got it perfectly because that's what they're doing. They're they're the uh, they're the cannon fodder, as you said. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to be the one the first ones to pay. And true, they're trying to get rid of us. Yes. But as soon as they get rid of us, then they're going to be the next to go. And oh, they're going to be they're going to be getting rid of uh, all kinds of useful idiots. Yes, uh, they got to get rid of true believers because the true believers, you know, actually believe the lies, and they believe the ideology and the rhetoric. And now that they're going to show their true cards. They can't have these true believers around because those people could be dangerous, and they're going to be like, "This is not what we signed on for. What is going on here?" 
mm-hmm. you know, this this isn't the the regime that we thought. So this is it. Socialists never recognize what the hell it is when it comes. That's the mm-hmm. interesting thing. They they don't recognize what they've been fighting for when it finally arrives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got a friend by the name of Paul Dreesen. I'm going to connect you with Paul. I think you might even have read some of his stuff, but he wrote uh, a book about how the environmental movement, uh, he called it, uh, uh, let me call it, uh, neo-environmentalism, I think. But anyway, uh, how the environmental movement uh, is the ones that are keeping countries uh, in Africa and underdeveloped countries from being able to be uh, developed. Oh, absolutely. That's they're exactly doing what's it. going on. Yeah, they're it's... they're still cooking their meals with uh, cow dung, and uh, and and they won't allow them to have a hydroelectric dam that could provide them with electricity. It's 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 stunning. And these people claim to be like altruistic and philanthropic, and, and uh, lovers of mankind, and you know benefactors and all that. It's it's stunning that they're actually the absolute opposite of that. Mm-hmm. They're actually the worst enemies of these people that are imaginable. And people that are just trying to live their lives and uh, have nothing, you know, nothing against these people in, th- you know, in Africa or anywhere else would like nothing better than to see them flourish because mm-hmm. knowing that they're flourishing isn't taking away from you. It's not taking away from us. It would be good for everybody. Um, uh, everybody's wealth would increase. These people are deemed the uh, racists. People, you know, people. These mm-hmm. people that would uh, actually have nothing against these people and would do, you know, d- basically know that giving them money, or giving their leaders money to keep them from developing is not the answer. Obviously, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, soon I think they're going to start calling opponents of uh, this global climate change catastrophe, and they're going to dub us racist as well because because they're going to say that the climate change affects the uh people of color disproportionately and people Mm -hmm. in the third you know in the developing world and all that so we're racist if we don't uh, buy into this michael they've already well it's it's actually here it's they've been doing it and and now what they're saying is that uh low-lying countries like uh Oh, Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Yeah. Yeah. Those countries are going to be flooded with this uh, enormous amount of water that's going to be there because of the polar ice caps melting. Well, uh, first of all, they're not melting. They're actually increasing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But the the bottom line is is anybody that uh, these people are stupid. They don't understand any science. No. Ice floats. Okay. Right. Ice floats, so if it melts, actually the water table will likely go down a little bit mm-hmm. because uh, water, when it melts, or ice when it melts, becomes water and it uses much less space. Yes, and the other thing is the climate change uh, science is bullshit. I mean, it's, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I mean... that is. Perfect. Oh, I was a believer in that too, Dan. I believed in climate change. I thought it was the only way to stop it was to, and this is what they do. You know, the only way to stop it was to uh, get rid of capitalism. That was the only way to stop climate change. You know, 
And that little did I know that what they were doing was using these catastrophes as a reason, as a pretext for intervening in the to to control and intervene in and control the the population and control the economy. I had no idea that was going. That was what was going on. Everything was backwards, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and of course, there's uh, no indication that socialism is any better for the environment, as we saw with the Soviet Union and China right. presently. China, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's the part that gives gives me a a real pain in the ass is the fact that uh, uh, China gets a free pass now. When they had the COP27 con uh, conference in Egypt, they had nothing but uh, uh, praise for the for Chinese. Yeah. Guess who are the biggest polluter in the world now? Uh, China, China pollutes more than the United States and Europe combined. Wow. And, yeah. and it's growing exponentially. And this isn't just... Uh, CO2. We're talking real, real environmental pollution. damage. Yeah. CO2 is not pollution. This is the other thing they tell us. Right. right. That it's pollution, that it's a pollutant. A CO2 is actually a vital compound for organic life altogether. Uh, without CO2, we wouldn't live. There'd be no plant right. life and we'd be dead. So, I mean, because without plants, we have no oxygen. So, I mean, these people are just, they just twisted everything, man. Everything. Yeah, and how Obama got uh, the EPA to declare CO2 as a dangerous gas. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. No. All they have to do is take fifth grade science and it's they know how stupid that is. And and well, I think that's why they're getting away with this because they're not teaching fifth grade science anymore. <laughs> you're right Instead, on. They're teaching you whether you're telling they're trying to they're teaching you to to question whether you're a, you know a boy girl or a um, intersex mm -hmm. or some other speed you know some other gender. Uh, this is what they're concentrating on because this keeps people from any kinds of possibility of actually having a thought. Mm -hmm. Anything that could keep them from any thoughts or critical evaluation or history or knowledge or anything, this is what they're doing. I mean, this that you, you can't just dumb people down. You have to actually replace real content with something else. And this is what they're doing through the education system. Uh, and John John Klasik uh, does a great job with this stuff with school board uh, school board mm -hmm. order, mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, even on a more simplistic level of not, you know, before all the technological aspects of it, the transhuman technology that they're they're planning on and using somewhat to this point uh, is just the um, the uh, the replacement of actual knowledge production or knowledge acquisition with uh, pure, uh, you know, pure and ideological insanity. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, just totally occupying these people, these children's minds with lunacy. Mm -hmm. Indoctrinating them into non-thinking entities. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and you know, really uh, what you're talking about with the uh, so-called education system yeah. in this country, uh, when we were kids, when I was a kid, you were encouraged to uh, debate and to think and to 
uh, talk about things. Our founding fathers, and I, I don't want to get too far back, but uh, you know that was a big part of their culture was right. for people to sit down over a uh, an ale in mm-hmm. a, a, a tavern somewhere and have these long, healthy intellectual discussions, and that's right. where they came up with the whole idea of the United States of America. We're yeah. in taverns now. Right. Now you can't even when you're a professor in a in a university like NYU, you can't even discuss this stuff. How did Nothing. we get so far off the track? Well, it's been, as I said in the book, it's, I don't think it's really a long march through the institutions by these outside grassroots radicals. I really think the elites did this themselves and they, they didn't march through the institutions. They were already in them and they positioned these people in, um, First of all, you know, as uh, you know, as uh, Ed points out so well, as he pointed out so well, so much better than and probably the only person to point this out is with what they did with the tax exempt foundations and how they used them to alter the education system. Mm-hmm. You know, they use those tax exempt foundations coming from capitalist you know, wealth, turned them into socialist organizations use them to change the educational uh, institutions like the uh the teachers unions and the uh, um, uh education uh policy uh organizations and uh, you know all the different names they they infiltrated all those organizations funded them to turn into collectivist uh uh you know manufacturers of collectivism mm-hmm. and then they f- funded all this research to do the same thing, the American Historical Society, et cetera. And then, or AHA, I guess it's American Historical Association. Then they infiltrated the schools. They got the, the, the legions of these people to infiltrate the schools at the university level, then produced through these teachers' colleges the same sort of uh, ideology and chain, you know, to- totally mass-producing these kind of... Um, collectivist thinkers like Columbia teachers college was one of the prime ones, mm-hmm. uh, where they, uh, the, the, these people went over to the Soviet union and came back and tried to implement Soviet union types education here. Um, so it's been, uh, you know, since the twenties, thirties, you know, you know, if that, if, it, if that isn't even too late, I, I'd say at least the twenties, they've been up to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have, and and the Frankfurt School was started in uh, at Columbia University in 1933, and right. Hitler Hitler actually kicked them out because it was yeah. a bunch of Jewish intellectuals, right? Uh, and uh, they were the, too. Yeah. and they were co- communists. They were Marxists, right. and yes, um, you, you know, a lot of people don't make this uh, connection, but it's absolutely true. Uh, the reason that uh, communists and fascists uh, fight against each other is because they're both socialists. It's a yeah. matter of whether you're a national socialist, yeah. fascist, or an international socialist. Yes. They're, they're just, fighting for a, the same turf. It's now, internecine warfare is what it is. It's an inter- internecine squabble. But the interesting thing about the Frankfurt School is that when they were kicked out of Germany— 
somebody pointed it out to me. It's very interesting how they decided to go to the United States instead of the Soviet Union. Isn't that curious? Mm -hmm. If they were such believers, why didn't they go to the Soviet Union instead of the United States, the heart of capitalism? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, they knew damn good and well that Stalin would no more put up with their crap than uh, the man in the moon. And, And obviously they knew that the United States was going to be accepting of them. Right. Actually, and they used the you know uh, the, the they exploited the liberal paradox that is the idea that we're tolerant of the diverse viewpoints and all this stuff, and then they exploited that and then used it, and then once they got into ascendancy and power, they proceeded to shut down everybody else. Mm-hmm. This is basically what happened. Exactly what happened. Well, um, we we. Um... We need now, I think, to talk about the best ways to counteract this. And, of course, education is a huge part of this. Yeah. Uh, books like yours are absolutely essential. Uh, we need programs like this. Radio and podcast yes. programs like this are absolutely essential because education is the only way we're going to break through this. We, we, we need to enlighten a whole bunch of people to yeah. what's really going on. But talk yeah. about how we can break this paradigm. Well, the way I see it is this. And I have a chapter at the end of the book called The Grand Refusal. Mm-hmm. And so what The Grand Refusal's pre- premise is this. Effectively, we can't really stop these globalists from what they're doing. We can't stop them from trying to pull these strings, but we can cut the strings from ourselves so that when they pull the strings, we don't move. So effectively that's the plan. That's the basic premise of the grand refusal is cut the puppet strings. That means getting the globalists out of your, out of your back, off your body, off your mind, in terms of how they're manipulating you. So that means, you know, refusing uh, many of their technological interventions that they have planned, like the CBDC, like uh, the central bank digital currency, that is, like the digital identity, like uh, the transhumanist technology, because all of this stuff is being used for surveillance and totalitarian control. And then uh, we must uh, refuse to be involved in their ESG. So if we're going to have a parallel, we're going to have to have a parallel economy because if we're pulling out of the CBDC and we're not going to buy into the CBDC, we need to have me- means of exchange, other currencies, uh, currency of exchange. So that uh, I leave that up to people to think about what kinds of currencies for exchange we need. Uh, of course, hard precious metals are not out of you know are certainly not to be ruled out but uh and then we need to get out of their scheme their esg stakeholder scheme and that means pulling funds out of all these banks that are esg banks pulling if you have any assets in these esg companies and asset managers uh getting out of those things practicing the free market in a parallel structure parallel economy with parallel uh currency uh basically uh the the figure the icon i use for this is uh howard beale from uh, the movie network mm-hmm. where he 
basically stands up and he starts screaming. I'm we're down as hell and we're not taking this anymore. And basically this is a refusal. That's why I called it a grand refusal. We, we mm-hmm. just have to refuse it. And uh, that makes courage and it takes strength and it takes planning as well. So uh, yeah, education is how we get there. But once we get educated, what do we do? We have mm-hmm. to do something. We have to take into our own hands our survivability and our our uh, our viability, and uh, we need to pull away from these globalists who are going to try to transform every aspect, or are trying to transform every aspect of our lives. And the CDBs, I, I predict, uh, one or two more bank failures, and we're going to see a big rush to the CBDC, mm-hmm. and that they're going to mm-hmm. say this is the only answer. Uh, federal, you know, the federal, uh, uh, the Fed, the Fed uh, will have to be the only bank or the main bank where people have their accounts with the Fed itself. Uh, and so um, that's where they're going to use this as a pretext to usher in the CBDC. So we better look mm-hmm. out for that. Well, if you I don't mean, want to get into the CBDC. If you do, you realize that the, um, uh, the Fed, of course, it's a private bank, but they do have, huh, they are connected to the federal government. Okay. They're not a, they're not a federal agency, uh, but they are connected to the federal government and they could, they, they will surveil your spending totally mm-hmm. and control it likely. As a matter of fact, they plan to tie this. I'm glad you brought this up because this is an important subject. The CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency concept, Mm -hmm. was actually pushed through by the uh, International Monetary Fund in November. They passed the the ruling that they're moving into a digital cashless society. Mm -hmm. The Federal Reserve announced that starting in May or June, they're going to be moving in that direction as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anybody that thinks that uh, our Federal Reserve is separate from uh, the international banksters is a <laughs> <bloody> <laughs> idiot, okay? Yeah, I mean, they're the center of the whole thing. Um, they are the center uh, bank of the of, of the global central bank uh, mm-hmm. network, right? Uh, and the Bank of International Settlements uh, did a, uh, a report on the CBDC, and they said basically two things that are very, very interesting. One is there's no way to have a central bank digital currency without transparency to the central bank. That is, all of the accounts transparent to the Fed, to the Federal Reserve, or other central banks. Two there's a big question of what they're calling disintermediation, which means basically the the collapse of the commercial banking industry. That with the CBDC, it may signal the end of the commercial banks. Now, if that's the case, what they'll do is they'll absorb those banks into the Fed and in effect, get rid of them. if that happens now, we're, it's like there's no banking outside of the Fed, and that means there's no banking that's outside of the purview 
of the federal government, which means that everything you do is known, everything, mm-hmm. and which means that could be controlled, which means that you could be thrown out of the economy entirely. They could shut down your CBDCs, just as they did to the truckers. You know, they shut down their credit cards and their bank accounts. So this will be easy to seize your bank account once it's at the Fed. And uh, they could make you a deplorable and that you can't buy this, you can't buy that. You maybe not buy, buy anything, you know, and certainly maybe not sell anything either. So. Yeah, uh, they'll make you disappear. Totally. Um, and, and of course, um, good, good plug for your book. And um, uh, Thumper, would you mind putting, uh, putting up that screen? I sent it in the chat line. Go ahead and show uh, Michael's books uh, on uh, on Amazon. They're available. Hate to do anything to support Amazon, yeah. but the uh, fact is, is your books are all there. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, uh, what what they're talking about doing with uh, this is outlined very definitely in your book, Google Archipelago. Google designed a software for the communist Chinese to create their social credit system. Mm -hmm. And when they did that, they admitted, they openly said that this was a blueprint Mm -hmm. for the way the whole world was going to be eventually. Yes, and China's been the model for these globalists all along. Uh, They've said this going all the way back to Maurice Strong and, uh, you know, one of uh, Klaus Schwab's uh, mentors and friends. He said China was the model. Uh, so yeah, there's some of my books there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I have to tell you, I enjoyed, uh, the great reset. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, you are a, a good writer, good researcher, but, uh, you did so, uh, you did put all this together so well because, uh, you connected the dots and, uh, not, uh, plug the name of my program, but it's nice to see uh, that people put the dots together. And there's nothing that's happened in the last 200 years that uh, really doesn't connect. I mean, everything is there. The Mm -hmm. facts are there. The truth is there. And I have to tell you this uh, great reset. I hope that uh, people will go online and buy this book because you will be absolutely uh, amazed with how much information you'll get from this. And my friend Harry Bouyens, who is the Afrikaans uh, uh, physicist that uh, worked in the weapons industry, I sent him uh, to your website and I said, you got to read this guy's book. It'll it'll, uh, square you away completely. Because I've been telling Harry uh, for years that this isn't about uh, communism. It isn't about South Africa. What you're going through is all part of the global agenda. Yeah. And uh, what they did to South Africa, they have planned for the entire world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they're doing it in just a slightly different pace, mm-hmm. but it's happening to us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Michael, uh, I guess I want to give you a chance to maybe wrap up what, uh, when, when you wrote the book, uh, wrap up how you managed to tie all this stuff together and how important it is for people to wake up to the reality that 
the whole big plan now is out in front of people and they need to pay attention. Well, I realize that this this project, this Great Reset or Agenda 2030 or the Global Agenda, what had uh, like was a wheel with many, many spokes. And so uh, the project was almost too daunting for me to undertake. I almost quit several times. I thought, there's no way I can do this. It's too much. And I wanted to be thorough. So mm -hmm. I, I, I wanted to be thorough and to cover all of the aspects of this, which I think I've done. And people have written, and I don't mean to just be plugging away here shamelessly, but on the, uh, on the Amazon reviews that this is better than any book that's been written on this topic by a long shot, because I... I researched this and tied everything down as much as I could. I mean, all these mm -hmm. things are sourced. There is no speculation. It's sourced to the to the uh, to the origins of all of these, uh, uh, you know, all of these believe all these promoters and uh, architects of this agenda. So uh, I just have to say that uh, give it give it a read and. Uh, you know, I think it'll wake up things in you that you that I maybe even didn't occur to me. And I believe that uh, this could be uh, we need to affect this kind of a grand refusal that I refer to in the end, and that we need to take matters into our own hands in terms of uh, our economy and our way of life. We need to be at least a remnant who passes on the free market and individual rights and national sovereignty of the future. Uh, this is our. This is our. It has to be our legacy, or we totally fail our progeny, our descendants, if we don't do that. That's mm -hmm. all. Yeah, we will. And what you're saying about um, the the, uh, the fact that we need to research and understand, but we also need to to uh, refuse. We need to say yes. no. We're not going to go along with this. And you know, 3% of the American people actually fought in the Revolutionary War. Right, that's it. Uh, you know, one thing people don't understand is that almost all of these people that are part of the global agenda are cowards. If yeah. they didn't have the military behind them, if they didn't have uh, the, the police state behind them, they would run so damn fast and make your head spin. I mean, I can honestly say that I can't imagine if I had to stand in front of Klaus Schwab, I'd want to punch that son of a bitch out so bad that I don't think I could hold myself. You um, and me both. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I had to jump in. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, I love it. Uh, Anyway, we're uh, getting ready to move to the next program, Michael. But okay. uh, I think that was uh, Barb, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we, uh, I, all I want to say is that uh, it's always such a pleasure to have you on here. We got to have you at another, another Red Pill Expo. We've got them coming up all the time. Yeah. And I know I've talked to you about this, but uh, we want you to be part of the. Um, 
part of the the faculty of Red Pill University. Oh, okay. And we haven't right. moved in that direction yet, but we uh, we are really pushing the Red Pill University. And I can't imagine anybody that would be better suited. Maybe we'll make you the dean. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank nothing, you so much. Nothing like an ex-Marxist to be the dean of a graduate <laughs> studies. <laughs> anyway, I love it. All right. Thank you, Dan. Well, well Michael, I, it's been a great pleasure. And again, go to... Uh, Amazon, go, uh, Michael, your, your uh, website, talk about your Mike, website, michaelrechtenwald.com. If you want to bypass Amazon and big digital, uh, totalitarianism, you can buy directly from me on my website and I send out signed copies, michaelrechtenwald.com. All my books are available directly from me. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I've got, uh, most of them. I don't have, I don't think I have all of them, but I've got like five or six of them. And uh, they're extremely interesting and fun to read. You're, you uh, you do a great job. Uh, and obviously, The Great Reset is so well footnoted. Uh, I, I can't imagine a better source book. It ought to be, really ought to be a history class that is uh, mm. taught in our universities all over the country. That would be nice, but we know they don't want that. No. <laughs> That's the last thing that's going to happen. Well, Michael, th thank you again for being our guest. I, uh, I look forward to, uh, I'll visit with you um, off offline. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the Red Pill University, because I really mean that. Uh, you would be a marvelous faculty, if not, uh, you know, help us to put together uh, more of the production of the university. Sounds great, Dan. Thanks so much. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you, my friend. Good to Thank see you. you. Thank you. You too. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston. York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and There ain't no doubt.